Well, good morning. And happy Advent to you. Uh, my name is Mike McGarry. I'm the youth pastor here. And I would ask you to bow in a word of prayer with me before we hear from God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, we bow together in prayer and worship, believing that you are the God who hears and that you are the God who answers. So, Father, today, Lord, I ask that you would invite us in your Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts and our hands before you. Lord, to celebrate the blessings in life and to give thanks. And also, Father, to bring the struggles, the insecurities, Lord, to bring the ugliness before you this morning as well knowing that you care, that you see us, you see the whole us, and you invite us to come before you in prayer and in worship, to come before you as sons and daughters who are dearly loved through Jesus Christ. And so we come, and Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and that you would remind us once again of your incredible love and mercy for us. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Right? Right? But what if it's not? Right? Like, what if you come to church, Advent, Christmas, everything looks beautiful. You're driving to church, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's as much as you're going to get from me. And you're just thinking, I wish I felt that. Right? Like, sometimes we sing what we hope to be true. Right? And maybe that song for you is one of those songs that you sing, um, hoping that the Lord would. You, you sing it as a prayer. Right? Uh, have you ever felt like there's something wrong with your faith because you're not as joyful or hashtag blessed as the next person on social media? Right? You look around, you're like, man, everyone else has it so together. They know what they're doing, and they are crushing it. And I'm just, well, me. You ever felt that? I I have. Then Psalm 22 is for you. And Psalm 22 is for me. It's a reminder for God's people that suffering is a part of salvation. When we feel rejected or afflicted, 
uh, that we can remember how this passage is most fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We can declare his glory to all the nations and to one another because Jesus is the salvation that we need. And there are times when God's people can feel abandoned. And those are times and moments for us to remember the many ways that God has already saved and rescued his people, that God does not abandon his people, even when we might feel that way. And that's the message of Psalm 22. It's a reminder in the songbook of Israel to remind them about God's salvation and his glory. Because Israel needed reminders too. The life of faith isn't always full of blessing and sweetness. And passages like Psalm 22 remind us that even in our darkest days, that we are anchored in gospel hope. Amen? Now, before we dig in, uh, it's helpful to notice the very beginning of Psalm 22. So you can open up um, in your pew Bible. It's on page 482. Um, In your other Bible, um, it's Psalm 22 on whatever page it's on. Uh, But what you'll notice is verse 0 of Psalm 22 um, gives the introduction. And it says, For the choir director, according to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. Isn't that so helpful? Like, oh, the deer of the dawn, I love that one. I was listening to that one on my way in this morning, right? Um, Not so much. But when it says for the choir director, that doesn't mean that this is only a psalm for Jennifer. It means that it's a psalm for God's people to sing together in corporate worship. Right? That it was, it was a singing together psalm. It was a song that the choir director would lead before the gathered people of Israel for worship. So some some psalms are prayers that we pray. Some psalms were songs that were sung. Uh, This was one of those songs that was sung. And so as we read this song and this psalm together, I want you to think about the meaning and the beauty in all the ugliness and all the depth, all the grittiness of what David says here in singing that together, right? So this is what Psalm 22 says. It says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. 
but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. The strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of, the, of death, for dogs have surrounded me. Gangs of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will, proclaim, I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Amen? So what we see in this passage is a lot of sulking and complaints. He almost sounds like an angsty teenager, right? Who's just like, 
everything is worse, everything is terrible, nothing could be worse than it is, right? Like these ways that sometimes we can catastrophize things, like this one bad thing happened and now all of a sudden like everything in life is falling apart. Like you can read the opening part of Psalm 22 and get this sense where he is just so overwhelmed. And he does what we do when we get overwhelmed. Right? He just like blows it up and blows it up and blows it up. And next thing you know, God has abandoned me. And so we see this three-part structure in, in Psalm 22. So first, uh, he, he talks about his abandonment, abandonment by God. And then this, the, the few verses in the middle, he talks about the God who answers. And that's a turning point. It's a hinge. right? It is a complete transformation in the psalm. And so where before he was anguish and abandonment and isolation and loneliness and despair. But God answered me. And then he just erupts in praise. So what is going on here? Well, in this first section, he talks about feeling abandoned by God. Have you ever felt this? It's likely. Right? So first, first, so this is a long psalm. So we can't focus on every one of these verses. So I'm taking a few verses um, from throughout the psalm as representative of different elements to highlight for us. So verses 1 and 2 highlight this sense of abandonment. Right? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. And I've long thought that the worst thing in life isn't being surrounded by your enemies, as terrible as that is. Right? The worst thing in life is just feeling forgotten, invisible, lonely. Because at least your enemies remember you exist, <laughs> right? At least they think you're worth attacking. It doesn't take much digging to uncover the epidemic of loneliness in our society. We're more connected and more isolated and lonely than ever. Ironic. Smarter people than me have given all sorts of profound explanations about how we've gotten here and how we respond by building good communities and strong fellowship. But here's what I do know. Loneliness, right? Loneliness hurts so deeply because it strikes at the core of what it means to be a human being. That God created the world, and at the end of each day of creation, what did the Lord say? Wow. Cody and Steve, we got some work to do, right? At the end of each day of creation, what did God say? It is good. And it is good. 
And there was evening and there was morning and there was evening on the first day, second day, third day, so forth. What is the first thing in the Bible that the Lord God says was not good for the man to be alone? Right? We were created for fellowship. We were created for community. We were created to be loved and to love. Sometimes people say, oh, well, that's why God created marriage. And marriage is part of God's solution to loneliness. But I know a lot of married people who feel very alone. And I know a lot of lifelong single unmarried people whose lives are filled with deep community. Right? So it, it's not just about relationships and marriage and, and, and this. It's about intimacy. It, it's about friendship. That loneliness strikes at the core of what it means to be human. And this is why it hurts so deeply when you feel all alone. In this psalm, David identifies this feeling of abandonment and loneliness. And if you sympathize with that during this holiday season, I want you to bring that to God. You can name it before him without shame, without fear, with confidence that God hears you even when you feel all alone. I think that prayers that we pray when we're not sure if God hears, that God delights in those prayers at least as much, maybe even more, as the prayers we pray when we are full of strength and vigorous faith. Because what is, what is faith if we have it when it's weak and when we're struggling, right? That is faith, walking by faith and not by sight, trusting in God to answer. The second thing we see about his abandonment is this feeling of just feeling pitiful. Um, in, in verses 7 and 8, he says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Right? Have you ever felt mocked for your faith? Have others looked at you and just been like, that is pitiful. That person is pitiful. They are so pathetic, right? Maybe, maybe it's us saying it about ourselves. For me, I mean, the worst things that have ever been said about me have been said by me about myself, right? I, I think that's true of many of us. The things that we say about ourselves to ourselves are probably worse, hopefully, right? Worse than things that other people have said directly to us about us. And so here, David is, is reflecting on the, this sense of mockery, on the, the pitifulness. I'm so, I'm so pitiful. People are just mocking me constantly. How do I respond to that? Right, just remember David's life. He was the greatest king of Israel. 
right? He was fearless and successful in battle. So much so that the kingdom of Israel was at its largest under his reign. Their wealth and power and influence was incredible. But he was an unlikely king. The Lord told the prophet Samuel that one of Jesse's sons would be the next king. That the Lord had rejected King Saul. Samuel, go anoint one of the sons of Jesse. I will show you who. Go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be our next king. David's father didn't even bring him out for presentation. Ooh. Talk about a burn, right? Like, completely neglected by dad. Completely overlooked. And yet, when he was anointed as the next king of Israel, King Saul was still in power, so they had a complicated relationship involving multiple murder attempts. Then, when David is in power, he lives a life of constant war, protecting Israel from all of their surrounding, right, all of the surrounding countries and the people who are constantly threatening and invading Israel. Later in life, David's own family erupts into civil war as one of his sons tries to throw a coup and take over the throne for himself. So when David says, everyone who sees me mocks me, he's not just like making stuff up. He's not exaggerating. He's like, yeah, no, like literally, yeah, I get it. I'm the king, right? Man after God's own heart, yeah, he ain't me. But everywhere I go, people are gunning for me. I feel like an outcast and like I'm just walking on my heels constantly. But David brings his heart before God. He says, God, help me. God, rescue me. God, save me. Right? He feels weak. In verses 12 through 18, he talks about many bulls surround me, the strong ones of Bashan encircle me. Right? The, the Bashan was a, a region in Israel that was really fertile. The fields were known for how good they were for grazing cattle. So it's kind of like getting a, a, a cheeseburger and having a Kobe beef cheeseburger, right? Not the same thing. Um, and so the, the, the bulls of Bashan were like the Kobe beef of the bulls. Like, it's not just any bulls. Like, the strongest bulls around are coming for me with their horns, right? So he's saying, many bulls surround me, the strong ones of Bashan encircle me. Their mouths, they open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring, and I'm poured out like water. And he just like melts 
before God. He is at his end. He is weak. He is tired. He is overwhelmed. He's got nothing left. I think some of us can sympathize with that. How's your year been? So what do we do? Well, we have a God who answers. Right? But, to, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. Pause. You answered me. God answered. Isn't that incredible? In the midst of his certainty about his abandonment, his certainty that God is not hearing him, his certainty that these bulls of Bashan are going to trample him any second, God answered me. Exclamation mark. We have a God who answers. We have a God who answers. Do we believe that? Do we pray like that? So we don't have to just bring these like fluffy prayers to like puff ourselves up. Like we can lay it all out before the Lord, just like David did with confidence that we have a God who answers. This is an incredible psalm. It is obviously at the forefront of Matthew's mind when he wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Matthew 27. Because how did God answer our anguish? He answered us by giving us Jesus. Now just look at this comparison of, Ma- of Psalm 22 with Matthew 27. Right? There's a dividing of the garments among themselves and casting lots for clothing. Very clear. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And how Christ was mocked, right? That he relies on the Lord, right? This mockery, this uh, let God save him. And this cry of abandonment. So if you have ever felt the weight of verses 1 through 18. Right? If you've understood that from the inside and been like, I've been there. Guess who else has been there? Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus understands our lives from inside our skin. That's the message of Christmas, right? 
How did God answer us? Not just with warm fuzzies. God answered the cry of our hearts and the, our cry of an abandonment by giving us Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He answered our loneliness by giving us himself. Did you realize that the season of Advent, right? When you think about Advent, what do you think about? Advent calendars, probably, right? Even though the chocolate's usually pretty gross. Um, Just saying. Right? When we think about Advent, we think about Christmas. Of course we do. For the first, I should have done my research, I don't remember, but for the first couple hundred years that Christians celebrated Advent, Advent wasn't really about Christmas. It was about the return of Christ to finish everything that he started at his first Advent. So when we talk about Advent, and when we talk about Christmas, we're talking about Christology. Big fancy word, you can learn it and impress people, okay? Um, I've tried, it doesn't impress anyone, let's be honest. But what that has to do with, that, that answers two questions. Who is Jesus, and what has Jesus done? Who is Jesus? Christmas answers that question. What has Jesus done? Easter answers that question, right? This is why Christmas and Easter are so intimately related. Because together, they answer the question of who is Jesus and what has he done? Who is Jesus and why does he matter? How has God answered our deepest need? Not just by giving us here, live these five principles, or follow these five pillars, or do these things to experience enlightenment, right? No, God answered by giving us himself. And the things that Jesus did that we celebrate on Easter, right? His death on the cross as our substitute to take away our sin and to adopt us as children of God, he had the authority to do those things and to accomplish that because of who he is. Because he was fully God and fully man. He really understood us from inside the skin. And yet, he remained fully God with the authority to forgive sin, and to conquer death. This is our God who answers. So from here, David erupts in praise, and so do we. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened 
when he cried for help. David testifies about the name of God, and he doesn't hide the depths from which he was rescued. Right? He doesn't come to church and pretend that things weren't so bad after all. They, they were bad. Right? They were bad. Those things that he prayed in the first 18 verses, those, that, it was all happening. It was bad. But what he says is not that he was overestimating the opposition, but that he had temporarily forgotten who he has to help, whose strength comes in to rescue. So while it felt like the Lord was hiding his face, he gives praise to the God who hears our cries for help. In just a little bit, we're going to celebrate baptism and testimonies and membership, right? What is that except for our brothers and sisters in faith rehearsing what God has rescued them from and going through the waters of baptism as a living symbol of the God who answers, the God who saves from death into eternal life and fellowship with God. And so David praises among the people Right? There's two audiences of his praise in this back half of Psalm 22. He, he celebrates what God has done with his brothers and sisters in faith. Do we do that in our community groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our worship? Do we do that in just friendship and fellowship throughout the week? Do we talk about what the Lord has done and do we talk about what the Lord is still doing? Or do we only ever talk about what the Lord did way back when? Right? Because some of us, when you've been a Christian for a long time, you can celebrate what God did decades ago with so much joy and gusto while forgetting, I still have that God today. I still have that God who saves today. And guess what he wants to do? He wants to keep saving. He wants to keep rescuing. He wants to keep building his church. So let's celebrate the gospel and fellowship together. And then he erupts with praise among the nations. Right? Verses 27, 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules the nations. What's that sound like? But the Great Commission. Right? How are we praising the gospel and celebrating the gospel together? And how are we praising and celebrating the gospel among the nations? This is why we gather and meet for worship together. And this is why we send missionaries. I also, as the youth pastor, want to highlight verse 30, right? Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. 
is the ministry of passing the faith from generation to generation, the responsibility of the youth pastor, the children's ministry director, and the volunteers in those teams? Or is that the, or is that the calling and responsibility of the entire church family? That is the calling of the people of God, not just of the people who are designated special agents, right? That we gather to pass the faith to our children, to celebrate the faith together, and to pass the faith and to praise the Lord among all peoples in our homes and to the very ends of the earth. Have you forgotten that you serve a God who answers? Have you been so overwhelmed with the trials and the struggles of life that you are living in the first section? Some of us are living in verses 1 through 18. Some of us are living in 22 through 31. All of us are held together by 19 through 21. We are all held together, whichever side you... Is this the best time of the year? I don't know, but it's Advent. And it is time to remember the arrival of Christ. The one yet to come and the one that he has already come through. And in the midst of that, we say... I will praise the Lord, for he answered me, and he still does. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning, and we are confident in Jesus. Lord, we are confident in you in the midst of darkness that a light has shone. We are confident in the midst of fear because God has given us peace. We are confident in the midst of despair because God has given us hope. We are confident in the midst of our sin because God has given us an everlasting love and salvation. And we are confident in the midst of sadness because God has given us joy. And so, Lord, you continue to answer the cries of your people. You continue to fuel the praise of your people. So, Lord, would you answer us? Would you answer us in our cries and would you answer us in our praise? according to the mercy of God that is ours through Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.